Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant to the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Amen. Oh, I got a helper today. Okay. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Well, we've been talking about prayer for how many weeks now? Six. Okay. Um, so, what else can I tell you about prayer that you don't already know? We know we're supposed to pause and listen, and we're supposed to ask for ourselves and for others. We know that God always answers prayer. But what happens when Jesus prays in our scripture today? God said, no, sorry. So I brought some messy stuff, as always. I brought two people, two people that are going to pray. This person and this person. They're both full of oil. Yeah. What color do you like? Do you like green? Yeah? Okay, good. So, I can get it out. The green is going to represent our prayers. Well, maybe. There we go. So we know that when we pray, God answers our prayers. When this person prayed, here comes the answer. I don't know if you can see it. It's kind of hanging there a little bit. Sometimes God says, wait a little bit. Oh, but it went down. The answer came down. I don't know if you can see that, but the, the drop is now on the bottom. So we got an answer. This person got an answer. They ask again. 
another prayer. God's thinking about it. And there it goes. See it go? I don't know if you can see that. Can you see it? The people in the front row can see it. Can you see it in the back? No, probably not. I can't make the drops any bigger because they only come out one size. But when God answers our prayers, they come to us. All right, so this is Jesus here in the garden, and he's praying. So here's God's answer. Well, that part came down, but part of it's still hanging up there. You see, there's some on the bottom, but there's still some on the top. Jesus prayed for the cup of sorrow, the death that he was about to face, to leave him. God said, you can't take it all away. It's got to go. You've got to die. But all the other prayers that you've asked, they'll be fine because the people that you're dying for are my people, and I'm going to take care of them. So we got a halfway answer. Yes, Jesus prayed. No, he was not spared the cross. But all of his other requests were answered. Forgiveness was free to all who believe. Kind of tricky sometimes. Sometimes God says, yeah. Sometimes God says, wait a little bit. Sometimes God says, no. That one's still hanging up there. It's not coming down. God didn't take that away from Jesus. He didn't take away death. It was there for a reason. But he did hear all of Jesus' other prayers and did respond. We have an amazing God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you hear us when we pray. We thank you for the answers that are yes. We thank you for the answers that are wait a while. And we thank you for the answers that are no. Because we know that no matter what the answer is, it's your will. And you only have our best interests in mind. So we thank you for that. We thank you for your love and your care. And most of all, we thank you that Jesus was willing to go and die for us. He didn't have to, but we're thankful that he did. So it's in his name that we pray now. Amen. Lord, thank you again for this day. We ask that you will have your own way in us um, as we listen today, as we learn from your word, and also as we go into this week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so it is Palm Sunday, and we are talking about prayer. Does anyone know what the prayer was that the people were praying on Palm Sunday? Save us. Right. What's the word? The Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. That's Lord, Lord deliver us. And this is a um, this is a prayer, obviously, but it is being used in this context in Palm Sunday when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem and the people are waving their palm branches. 
was looking for a place to stick this up here, but there isn't really one. Um, people are waving their palm branches and they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna to the son of David, and they're using it both as a prayer, which we were calling rejoicing in this prayer, uh, or praise, which we were calling rejoicing in this prayer series, and also as a petition, as a, an asking. They're asking for God to deliver them, but they're also praising God and they're praising Jesus because they trust that he can deliver them. Okay, so we've been, like Barb said, we've been talking about prayer for six weeks, and we were loosely using an acrostic, pray. What do the letters stand for? Pause, rejoice, ask, yield. So today we're going to talk about yielding in prayer. What do you think that means? Thy will be done. Basically, yeah. Why do you think that God doesn't say yes to every prayer? Okay, we're not God. Okay, sometimes we ask for things that we shouldn't have. There might be a better door. Thank you, Karen. That's, that's a good one. Let's keep that one in mind. Um, so here's another question for you. When the people are shouting and waving their palm branches and saying, Hosanna, did those people get what they were praying for? <laughs> kind of, right. They did not get deliverance from Rome, which is what they thought they were praying for. But they did get deliverance from slavery to sin. And it's interesting because Palm Sunday, for that day, in when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, was right before the Jewish celebration of Passover. We know this. We know that um, it was Passover night that um, Jesus had the Last Supper with his disciples. And so um, the Passover celebration the sacrifice there and what it commemorates is actually God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt. And so when we think about this whole week, we should keep that in mind, that sin is not just stuff that we do, but it is actually a type of slavery. And we all have been enslaved to it, and what Jesus does delivers us. But the people, if... If you asked the people who had followed Jesus in and were praising him and everything, um, a week later, if they had gotten a yes answer to their prayer, they would have said no, right? Because it looks like no. Okay, here's another question. We read, Paul read for us um, this scene about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And right as he's being arrested, and right before that, um, did Jesus get what he was asking for? No. What did he ask for exactly? Right. He asked for the cup to be taken from him, but do not have to be crucified. He actually asks two different things in this passage. 
um, one thing he asks of his disciples and one thing he asks of his father. First he says to the disciples, pray that you will not fall into temptation. So he's actually asking them to pray, too, and he's asking them not to fall into, into temptation. Uh, did he get an answer to that? A yes answer to that, either? <laughs> well, they fell asleep, and they did fall into temptation. Um, Peter denied Jesus, and the other ones ran away. Then he asked his father, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. So basically none of this stuff is playing out the way Jesus is asking for it, which, if you think about it, is kind of crazy. It could be really encouraging to us or really discouraging to us because Jesus is God. And it's not even going how he wants. <laughs> what is going on here? This, to me and to some other people, can sometimes um, stir up some questions that are maybe a little scary to ask out loud and sometimes don't get asked in church. Um, is God not all-powerful? Or is God not all-good or all-loving? Or, this one might not immediately come to mind, but is God divided within himself? God plays by his own rules, even when it hurts him. What's that? Yeah, this did hurt, this hurt him. Okay, so in case this gets long, we're going to try to take our time in this because this is a big topic. This is tough. Um, but in case we get bogged down, I just want to tell you, the basic sermon is this. God knows what it feels like to hear no. God knows what it feels like to yield. Here's a little aside. While I was studying this sermon this morning, it occurred to me, God knows what it feels like to say no, to hear no when he prays. But he also knows what it feels like to hear no from us all the time, right? <laughs> um, so, so we might want to keep that in mind sometimes, too, when we're praying and we feel disappointed with God. Um, possibly he has a better, he has more experience of hearing no than, than we do. But the truth is, like we said a couple weeks ago, God is not an algorithm. And prayer is not an algorithm. There are no formulas to this. There's no way that we can be like, hmm, what's the, if I, is there a certain way I can pray or like things that I need to do beforehand to make sure or at least make it a little more likely that God is going to say yes to what I ask? There aren't formulas. So in this, today, we are going to look at what it was like for Jesus to pray and get a no. And we might find some things that give us a clue as to why God might say no sometimes. Um, but I don't want us to think, oh, these are the reasons, and so now if I can somehow tweak this, I can always get a yes. Um, that's 
because that's not how prayer works. It's not a formula. Jesus says if we abide in him, we can ask whatever we want, and it will be done. And that's the only formula as far as I know, and what that looks like is probably not a formula. So um, we are going to just try to maybe, in a way, put ourselves in Jesus' experience and try to imagine what it was like for him to hear no when he prayed. We also need to keep in mind through this whole time three things that are true about God. First of all, God isn't petty. So if God says no to something, it's not because he's just going to snip and be kind of irritated, and so he's like, ugh, no. Um, God is all-powerful and all-good and all-loving. And God does have one united will within himself. God is not divided within himself. Okay, so we're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this beginning of this passage says, Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. I never noticed the as usual part before, but it occurred to me that sometimes when we pray, we get a no because we have already chosen the direction that we're going. So in our case, a lot of times we're being disobedient, like when, you're, when you were in school and you did not study for a test, and then the day of the test you said, oh God, please, please help me to pass this test. Well, you already chose not to pass the test. Unless you're one of those people that doesn't have to study for anything. But anyway, um, so sometimes we do things like that. But in this case, Jesus is actually doing the right thing. Um, he is, but he is going to the Mount of Olives, as usual. On a human level, he probably could have prevented his arrest and his torture, and his brutal death himself if he had really wanted to. Right. He could, have, he could have stayed in the upper room, and Judas knew where that was, but it's less likely that um, the temple guards and the chief priests and all the people that are there to arrest him in the garden would have gone into the city and gone into this house to go get Jesus out, because that would have caused more issues for them. Everything they were doing to Jesus was illegal. So they, they're not going to want to draw attention to themselves and do this in the city. So he could have stayed there, or he could have gone somewhere else. But he doesn't. He goes to his usual spot. I don't know if you noticed the same things that our responsive reading was saying today. <laughs> um, but one of them was... Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. Did you realize that Jesus had to learn obedience? This, I think, is an example of him, how he learned obedience. He did not have to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, but he did. He is exercising obedience by showing up where he knows he will be arrested, 
even though he's also going to pray desperately and sincerely for his own deliverance. So he gets there, and he's with the disciples, except for Judas, and he says to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He doesn't say, pray that you'll get out of this alive. He doesn't say, pray for me that I'm going to be okay. He says, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Here's another little aside. When God tells you to pray for something, directly tells you to pray for something, will you pray for that thing? Um, Jesus is about to face the greatest horror in all of human history, which is the ultimate final consequences to the serpent in the Garden of Eden's temptation, you shall be like God. So all the way back in the Garden of Eden, the serpent says, you shall be like God. And when Adam and Eve chose, I'm going to try to be like God, apart from God, we all, we all choose this in some way in our, throughout our lives. And ultimately what that says is, if we say, I'm going to be God instead of you, God, we're essentially saying, God, I want you dead. And so what is going to happen to Jesus is what had to happen for our will to be done. If our human sinful will is my will be done, God has to die. So Jesus is about to face the consequences of our temptation, and so he is saying to his disciples, Pray that you don't fall into temptation. They, the disciples, understand that something's wrong with Jesus. Like, he, you know, a week ago, he rode into Jerusalem and everybody loved him, and something's messed up here. He's not happy. Um, he keeps saying all these things, but they don't totally understand how cosmic this is. Uh, and so the text tells us they're sad. But they're so sad they fall asleep. I don't know. That part never made sense to me. I, when I'm really sad, I have a hard time sleeping. But whatever. I guess these guys had the opposite. Anyway, they, so they fall asleep. Meanwhile, Jesus goes off to pray by himself for himself because he is also wrestling with temptation. He is wrestling with the same temptation that we all, that Adam and Eve, all of us, all human beings, have had to wrestle with. He has to face the temptation to be God on his own terms. That is the temptation. He could say, I'm not going to go through with this. I am already God. I don't have to do this. I'm just going to take my godness and go home. That is our temptation, too. Just like Adam and Eve, just like any one of us sitting here who would rather be like God by disobeying and eating a fruit instead of the long, slow, often painful process of becoming like God through relationship with God, Jesus himself would actually prefer the easy way out. In Philippians chapter 2, there's a hymn 
to Jesus or about Jesus, it's unclear if the Apostle Paul wrote that hymn himself or if he's just copying it down and got it from somewhere else. But in that passage, it says, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That is, we humans have tried always throughout human history to try to grasp equality with God. Jesus already had equality with God, but he had to decide for himself whether he was going to grasp for it himself or he was going to go through the long, slow process of becoming like God through the cross. Even before the cross, and even though Jesus never sinned because he did not end up falling to temptation, he is getting a taste in the garden of the division that marks human existence. So a lot of times I talk here about how what Jesus came to do was to reconcile. Um, he, does, he, he comes to erase our sins, but the reason for that is because he wants to reconcile us to God and to each other and to creation and within ourselves because sin divides all those things. Sin puts a division between us and God, and between us and each other, and between us and creation, and within ourselves. And we know this from personal experience, and we also know it from passages like Romans 7, where the Apostle Paul says, I don't do what I want to do, and I want to do what I don't do, and I, uh, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? We know what it feels like to feel conflicted, right? Am I the only person? <laughs> Um, and so Jesus is actually getting a taste of that. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are three in one. They have one will. They, there is no division within them. But Jesus in the flesh finds himself wanting both the will of God and his own separate human will to spare himself what he knows he needs to do, what he knows he needs to face to mend all of these other divisions. He's feeling our division. This is agonizing to him. He loves his father, and he loves the spirit, and has they have never been divided before. And so it is agony, and then it, the, it's interesting. Luke tells us an angel comes to strengthen him, and then after the angel comes, Jesus is in such anguish that that's when he sweats drops of blood. I almost wonder, this doesn't get spelled out in the passage, but I almost wonder if Jesus is, you know, he's praying, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Um, and he's kind of really being tempted there. And then the angel comes and reminds him of the love of the Father, the love of the Spirit, and what it is he's coming to do, his love for us. And so he knows that he needs to go through with it, but it is agonizing. 
and the division within him just is so awful that he sweats blood. It is actually biologically, physically possible for a person to be so distressed that they sweat blood. Um, you, can, you can Google it. <laughs> it's a real thing. A will divided from the Father's is agony. And so he kind of pulls himself together and goes out and faces this crowd of soldiers that his friend Judas brought to arrest him. And he says, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? This is a really interesting question if you just take it all by itself. The rebellion is humans trying to be like God. But he is kind of leading a rebellion because he's doing something completely different. He says, every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour, when darkness reigns. God plays by his own rules, including the rule that human beings were intended, were created, to have authority on this planet. Maybe other planets. We don't know about that part. But we were the supposed to be the boss on this planet under God, in connection with God, by the power of God. And even when we say, no, thank you, God, we're going to do this ourselves, God still, he made us to have this power, and so he still allows us to have it. Jesus says, this is your hour when darkness reigns. The Father is not stepping in to fix this. God is playing by his own rules. And it's interesting to note that Jesus is speaking here to human beings, not to demons, not to devils. So last week we talked about how our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And we know that those are influenced by spiritual powers that are opposed to God, and also by the way, opposed to us, even if they make us think that they're on our side. Um, but I think we sometimes forget that human beings are powerful, too. God made us that way. And so we are capable of great good by the power of God, but we are also capable of great evil. And I really think that Jesus is not so much talking to the principalities as he is talking to these human beings who from their own level of power their own selves have created these systems of I mean they're they're being illegal against Roman law and against scriptural law in what they're doing in this story um, they have contributed to uh, spiritual abuse, and all kinds of things, and, and humans continue to do this. And so he says, this is your hour when darkness reigns. At some point, all of us have said to God, my will, not yours, be done. And that is what's in play here in this story, and that's also what is in play today that we see around us in our nation, in the nations of the world, in the systems that we struggle against, even in our families and in our own hearts. We have to struggle with, is it, do I want my will or do I want God's will? 
God lets darkness reign. It's a little disturbing sometimes. He lets, and he let, in this story, he let hatred and fear of God and of other humans reign. He lets self-centered fear play itself all the way out to the point where it kills him. Because that is the way love plays itself all the way out too. God is love. Love is what created the world. But love is not the driving force of this world. And God wants it back. The only way for love to win in the world that humans set up and that we keep going is to sacrifice, to yield itself, himself, completely, and come back on his own terms and reset the terms. So in the responsive reading, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. He does that in the story, right? He offers up fervent cries and tears. And then the rest of the sentence says, he was heard because of his reverent submission. Wait, what? <laughs> Does that sound like what happened? Son though he was, it says, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He learned obedience basically means he yielded to love. He was offered the same exact temptation that every single human being has ever been offered, that temptation to turn away from love, which is God is love, and toward self-interest. What's best for me? But instead, he turned towards love. He turned toward his father and also toward his love for us. Because the Father also loves us. It's like the Father, Jesus was here sacrificing himself. The Father was also sacrificing himself because Jesus is his heart. But the Father was also retaining all the love for the world to keep going, to keep Jesus able to keep going, to remind him that he loves us. And so Jesus chose to obey because he turned towards love. He learned obedience. God never wanted robots. A lot of times people say, why did God allow Adam and Eve to be tempted in the first place? Like, why didn't he, or why doesn't he just make us all love him? That doesn't work, right? You know you can't make somebody love you. That's not real. And God doesn't want that either. God doesn't want that kind of love any more than we do. God didn't want robots because God is not a robot. And so Jesus, being God, is not a robot. He could have chosen to go his own way too, but 
He obeyed because he loved. Because he loves. He yielded to the Father's no because his love for us and his Father was greater than his fear for himself. So then Hebrews 5 says this other crazy thing. He was made perfect. What? Really? Isn't Jesus already perfect? You'd think, right? (laughs) So, he was. Perfection is more than sinlessness, though. Perfection, in the Bible at least, means wholeness, completeness. Exactly, something being exactly, fully, everything that it is meant to be, everything that it is. Well, Jesus was fully God, he was complete in himself, he was perfect. As a human being, he still had to complete what it means to be a full human being. None of us have managed to do that. But by choosing to obey in love, Jesus kept from sinning, and Jesus fulfilled what a human being is supposed to be. He lived fully the essence and the glory of God, which is the complete, perfect expression of love. This is what we are all made for. And this is why Jesus came and why Jesus went to the cross and why he rose again, so that we can also, in him, be made perfect. So why does God say no? I don't know, but ultimately I think that's the reason. I mean, we can we prayed last year for Kathleen Bond, and um, this is the time of year when she was getting sick, and we were finding out about it, and we prayed and prayed, and God took her home anyway. Why did God say no? I don't know. But God, I know that God is all good, and I know that God is all loving, and this, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, tell us that God will triumph, and God's will is always, in the end, going to be an expression of love, even if we don't see it right away. Maybe sometimes God says no because he has a better, more complete answer than the one we're looking for, like Karen mentioned, and like the people experienced on Palm Sunday. Or maybe God sometimes says no because we actually put ourselves in a situation that we could have kept ourselves out of, and there are consequences. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes we put ourselves in a situation and we're being obedient, like Jesus. Sometimes we're not, but... That's sometimes a reason for no. Maybe sometimes God says no because we didn't actually ask. We just felt sad about it, like the disciples. And then we fell asleep. And didn't ask. Maybe, this isn't really in this story, but maybe sometimes God wants to answer, but he wants to answer through people, and they haven't said yes to him yet, and he's just waiting on them. 
And maybe sometimes God says no because he wants us to learn obedience, which in the kingdom of God is the same thing as love. And our love will only be perfected through the challenge, whatever it is that we're going through. Always, no matter what God says to our prayers, the reason he says it is because he is love. And he is God. Let's pray. Lord, this is tough stuff to get our heads around, and honestly, in this life, we probably won't ever completely. Um, but Lord, I ask that you will help us to trust you and to continue to bring all of our needs and all of our concerns and all of our longings and even our preferences to you, but also that we will be open to yielding to your love, however that plays out. In Jesus' name.